Okay, so we're doing something a little bit different on the podcast today. And uh, first of all, it's going to be in English because we have one English speaking guest. Uh, and second of all, there's going to be three of us, which it's been a while since we've been three on the podcast. Um, so we have Nate, who most of the listeners know already because he's been, you've been on two episodes so far. And today, Nate is a guest slash co-host. I kind of see him as a co-host now because he's uh, the, the third guest who's on the podcast, Elijah. He's a friend of Nate's. Um, and first of all i would really like to hear some feedback from everyone who's listening to this because it's a different podcast uh we have an international guest this time uh somebody who worked for a lot of really impressive some of the most interesting startups in the world and i would just like to hear what everyone thinks about this uh you know do you like it do you not like it do you want to hear more do you want us to bring more guests who are you know world-class guests not just from slovenia but from other parts of the world who worked for some interesting um companies and share some interesting stories we need to hear what do you think about this new format, this new approach. Um, so now with that out of the way, um, we have two very interesting, yeah, two very interesting startups, growth experts on the podcast today. And Nate, to start, do you want to give a quick intro about who is Elijah? And Elijah, first sure. of all, just thank you for joining. No, uh, thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be on this show. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, sure. I can definitely give Elijah and Elijah jump in if I mistake of the three to five minute rundown of your of your CV. So sure. And this this is me putting myself on the spot of like how much do I actually know you considering I consider my consider you my friend. Um, so you're originally born in Singapore. Um, spent time in fmcg companies as probably as early on in your career right mm -hmm. um kind of like grinded your teeth there learned the ropes with everything um that brought you into gambling at all places which i kind of like want to ask a couple of things there with, at you yeah. bet yep um, well, it was actually i was actually before gambling i was actually in sky the mediacom company launching the OTT platform for them. But uh, yeah, you're almost right there. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, granted, this is all the top of my head. So uh, was it at that point that you had your own startup or was it before Unibet? I think it was after Unibet, if I remember correctly. Or was it, was it during it? It was a, before Unibet and a little bit of during Unibet that I was uh, that had my own startup uh, selling craft beer in Southeast Asia. So okay. it was quite interesting because um, my there was a my my mother in law was actually ill uh, at that point of time and we had to return to Singapore uh, so that my wife can spend time with the, my mother in law and during that time you know you know being jobless and nothing to do in Singapore I, I saw the opportunity to uh, for for disrupting the craft beer scene in in Singapore and the region so hence I started the business and it, it all began from there. Awesome. Ton of questions around that, especially considering Singapore is a very interesting market of like, especially craft beer is a very interesting uh, kind of like product. Then you came to Uber where we met uh, yep. and we worked together, what, like year and a half, I think, something like that around that kind of like time. Um, yep. uh, we can dive into that. We have time as well. There's a couple of like funny like interview questions, I think, when we, we kind of like <laughs> when we interviewing you. Uh, yep. You then went on to do um, growth at Deliveroo. Um, yes. 
and then decided to go into fintech, which is very another interesting one. And like, especially yep. like with world, world remits and like actually money transfers yep. across borders. Yep. And now you're back into kind of like the delivery space with Vault in Finland, out of all places. So um, yes, most of the people actually probably listening on the podcast know Vault is also present in Slovenia, like compared to like Uber is not, Uber Eats is not, Deliver is not. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. a different kind of perspective. But how do you how do you kind of like go from you went from transportation? to kind of like delivery, then to fintech mm-hmm. and then back to delivery. Like what, what was the fintech part in the middle? Why, why did that yep. happen? Well, I, I think uh, it, it's all, all part of a big learning curve where, you know, when I was at Uber moving across the delivery, the grass on the other side is always green. And having moved to delivery, I, I witnessed and experienced that actually probably I wasn't the right, it wasn't the right culture or the sort of the company fit for me as a person. And after 10, 11 months, I made the decision to to die on my own sword and and leave the company. Um, and, and because there was a anti-competition clause on me that I couldn't work for any competing delivery platforms at the point of time, I thought, hey, I've spent quite a few years in marketing, in growth, uh, it might be good for me to take a short sting uh, and go at operations uh, in the ops role. And the opportunity at Worry came by where, you know, to drive the global ops uh, in terms of the global growth uh, on that side of the business, to see the business from the other side, uh, to experience it. And I take it really a, a very much as a common. And during that period of time, it was just about learning new stuff, experiencing uh, life on the other side which is non-marketing uh, taking in as much learning as possible and 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 it just you know the opportunity at work came up shortly just right after the covid lockdown and hence yeah, we took i took the plunge with the support of my wife uh, and moved to finland cool right. and how's how's kind of like the last year and a half then with vault how, how has that been like Business is obviously doing great. Like recent acquisition, yep. massive. Yep. Absolutely massive. Like especially. I, like- I looked at some numbers. I looked at some numbers because I was curious. And so, Walt raised over eight hundred million dollars, and it was acquired by DoorDash. So last November, right, for eight point one billion dollars. So, those yeah. are huge numbers. It must be one of the most successful Finnish uh, startups, probably. Although Finland has a very healthy startup ecosystem. Yes. Yes, uh, it, it is one of the most successful, if not the most successful. Um, and of course, I can't speak on, on behalf of the Finnish people, but I'm sure it must be a very proud achievement for the company and for the country itself. Uh, it's big news, of course. And the company, uh, World as a company, has been achieving great results year on year. I think just in the last year, we've grown more than three times versus the previous year on the top lines alone. Um, and I, I think the... The, the point, the fact that, you know, DoorDash believes so much in world because we share so many common uh, practices and beliefs and the ways of working, I think is a great statement uh, and justification to this acquisition. Why do you think, so I've seen countless food delivery startups, right? I mean, there's quite a lot of successful ones, but there are loads and loads and loads of them that were started and they failed. And it, it, I think for a while it was kind of a trend every 
sort of ambitious founder. They just started a food delivery startup or some type of an Uber startup. Yeah. And many of them were unsuccessful. And Walt obviously now is, you know, one of the biggest players in this field. What do you think makes Walt different? And, you know, what played those? Like, why, why, why is the company so successful, right? Um, I think having some experience, you know, in Uber and Deliveroo, coming to Walt, it was actually quite refreshing and interesting. The emphasis on each and every detail uh, on the customer experience and more importantly on the fundamentals, which is very different or slightly different to some of the predecessors I've, I've been at. I think the other one thing that uh, really strikes me that, you know, uh, which is a big, you know, 180 degrees difference to where Uber was or Deliveroo was, was the focus on efficiency. Uh, the company is actually so uh, uh, focused on efficiency that it bogs huh. my mind even to today. How that's interesting. How, how different. Uh, so it's it's a it's a it's a totally different world from where I come from when it comes to Uber and Deliveroo. I mean, during my time with Nash uh, at at Uber, the company was going towards efficiency but uh-huh. at what it, it started with the aim of being efficient right from the very first day so do you mean yeah, like it's, it's financially financially efficient because obviously uber was spending a lot of money right or what kind of efficiency if you can talk a little bit more about that that's super interesting i i think it's uh from a financial point of view what it really does show is a difference and makes it made its difference uh, in terms of how it spends its money, in terms of how it markets out, in, in ter- uh, on how it does its marketing to acquire new users, to grow the business. Uh, the company has a very unique approach. Uh, I won't really call it unique, but it has a very regimental approach where we, instead of the top-down, the traditional funnel uh, of doing marketing, we do marketing the inverted way where we focus on the customer experience by optimizing customer experience and we, and then we grow our business and we grow our product through the word of mouth uh, from uh-huh. the bottom up way. Uh, so in fact, most of our growth never uh, actually never came on the back of marketing or any user acquisition. It was built uh-huh. on the back of product innovation, product uh, optimization for the customer. That's very interesting. So I would imagine you don't actually have a big marketing team. Um, yes, you're right. In fact, for a country like Slovenia, we have a team of two uh, marketers. Um, and even for a country like Japan, which is uh, one of la- our largest market in terms of number of cities, we only have a total headcount of three marketers, full-time marketers uh-huh. in, in Japan alone. So That's we are it. very lean when it comes to headcounts. So how, how does this work then? If we go back to like to when we were in Uber, right? Like we had like... Mm-hmm. Uber, for reference, for everybody listening, and has like had a centralized and a decentralized model. And what that means yep. is effectively you like launch cities in a decentralized model. Means that there's always like a, there's always a like a couple of people on the ground, right? So you have a general yep. manager on the ground, you have a marketing manager, an operations yep. manager, and a customer ops, right? The customer support. Mm-hmm. Um, as well. So like, those are the four key kind of like roles. And then every city is a bit like a startup, right? And then once a region or a country matures a lot, like a bit more, you start to centralize things, right? Because it turns out not every city needs a marketing manager, right? Not everybody is going to buy posters and ads on social media uh, by themselves. It makes a lot more sense to be centralized from that perspective. 
Um, yep. and that's kind of like where we, we were like at that point of, uh, of Uber's kind of like trajectory. So yep. where, where's Vault? Does Vault follow that model or do you guys think about it differently? Or how, um, how does that work? It's actually quite interesting. The operating model for Vault started on the basis of Uber because I think it was someone from Uber who came over to be the first CEO uh, for Vault back then. And then a lot of the operating model uh, which you are familiar with, was actually adopted into Vault. Of course, then we further evolve and into very something into something that is uniquely Vault. But very much, we are still operating on the we're we're currently operating on a centralized model with a decentralized uh, team uh, in the markets, but not at the city level, but at the country level. So, pretty much similar to what you have described. Interesting. Um, uh- yeah, did you want to say something else? Uh, no, no, you you can go for it. Otherwise, like I want, I want to switch, switch, switch gears a bit. So there's one thing that's related to both Volt and Uber and other companies that both of you guys worked on, and it's a topic that I personally really like. So, it, which is performance, right? So I had a super interesting conversation. I think it was two episodes ago uh, with a guest who has a very successful business in Slovenia, and there. He's focused on performance a lot, his personal performance, his team performance. And so we talked a lot, it was super interesting about how do you, you know, how do you make sure that you, that you do your best? What is even the definition of performance? Um, how do you ensure that your team can do the best? And, you know, both of you, you worked for companies that are growing, that were, are and were growing super fast where, you know, you need to deliver all the time. So I'm really curious, how do you, both of you think about that, about performance? Like what, how do you even define it? And then how do you, how do you personally look, you know, look at it? How do you think about it? How do you make sure that you perform and how do you enable your team or help or coach your team to perform at a high level beyond obviously hiring people who are high performers? That's probably the step number one, right? But a players hire A players, B players hire C players, C players hire Z players, right? <laughs> yeah. that, that's always that, always what it comes down to. That's probably rule number like, one, I mean, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, ultimately that, right? It's like, it's like, how do you grow the culture, like from a, like a, either a grow for a product team or any other team for that matter, right? When it starts off at the beginning, it's like, it's this kind of like almost like a flip of a coin of like the people that you have in a startup, because the fact is that like, unless there's like, they're part of the funding team or like one of the co-founders, they're not going to be the, exper- the most experienced people, right? There are mm-hmm. going to be mostly on the junior side. And some of those juniors will thrive. Some of them will be way out of their depth, right? So it's basically a coin flip almost, right? Because you can get some like people that are early on in their career, they're like absolutely amazing. And like, you would see like, you have like at least 15, 20 years of experience the way they operate, right? And they know what they're looking for, they know how to hire. Whether like other people, they've never hired a person before. So what is like, what am I looking for? What are the pitfalls? Um, And that's really, really hard to actually to know without you being aware, right? To being part of a culture that kind of like looks for certain kind of like things. Um, so for me, it's everything's about hiring, right? Cause like coaching a players is easy cause they run towards problems. They don't run away from problems. They're not, they don't sit around. They run towards problems, right? They want to get more stuff done. Um, when it comes to like non-performers, so like then kind of like a couple of levels down, you can already see, right. Where you're spending more time of 
explaining things, more time of actually like handholding uh, of the whole thing, right? And it becomes this, I wouldn't want to call it trust issue, but it becomes this thing where you constantly, you need to have something, right? So you take an example of, I don't know, performance marketing ads, right? You have an A player, they just roll with it, right? You just agree the budget with them, they'll figure it out, right? They'll figure out the copy, they'll figure out the A-B testing, they'll roll with everything, right? You don't have that one and like you have the first doubts, you actually want to see, okay, cool, what copy are we using? Can I sign off on the copy? What creative do you have? Can I sign off on the creative? And it just becomes this kind of like weird thing where you're like, and you don't want to do it. That's, that's the thing, right? Mm. You don't want to be that person that's kind of like consistently like goes around and actually like, I want to inspect your work because you feel like I'm a teacher in high school for some reason, like, like, I don't want to do this, but it kind of has to be done, right? Because like, it's, it's kind of like the quality control check. Totally agree with Nish. Um, just to add what my, my point of view, after working in quite a few companies, I also come to realize that actually at different stage of a company's lifespan or the trajectory of the company, uh, I, for example, Ward, I always describe Ward as a uh, still a company who's just learning to walk uh, and probably starting to run now. But then, you, you know, it's almost like a caterpillar evolving into a butterfly. And at each and every stage, you need different skill sets and different maturity of the employees that you hire into the business. Um, and at times, sometimes you get employees that you hire right at the very start that grows along and scales along with the company, you know, uh, improving their skills, their experience, their management styles uh, to feed the times. But there'll be a, most of the time you also need to start recruiting and hiring people uh, fit for the purpose of the company at that point of time. So, and it's, it's a big, really big thing that I think uh, company have to realize that and react fast to on how to future-proof as they grow the business, um, which sometimes business tend not to put uh, much focus on until they come to the very need of, hey, we are actually short of stuff or we're short of specific skill sets and talents. Okay. And so when you're interviewing somebody, when you're looking for talent, how do you know if they are going to be a high performer? I think um, a lot is about, uh, it might be cliche, but I think a lot is really about the attitude as well. Mm -hmm. And to be really honest, I, I would say half of the time is about the personal feeling that you get, the, 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 you know, the sense of familiarity that you can get with the person, how comfortable you are with the person. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think working in the business, working in the company, a lot about it, uh, a, a lot of, of it is about the interpersonal relationship that you can strike with a person. And, you know, the qualification means something, the experience means something. But, you know, whether you get the personal touch that you, you can feel the genuity from this person and, and the attitude, the right attitude, from this person means a lot and counts a lot. Um, I, I mean, it was interesting when I joined Uber, Nash was the one who, in, one of the interviewers who interviewed me. And, and I learned so much from him. I learned so much from the team. And uh, it was at Uber, it always, it, and it followed me on where I learned so much about, you know, hey, be an owner, not, not a renter. And I, th I think that value still carries on with a lot of ex-Uber people uh, and with me personally as well. So. The, the attitude really counts a lot, I think. Mm -hmm. 
there was a I've seen a video recently where Elon Musk was explaining about how he hires and what he looks for in people when he hires and it was just like um, uh, there uh, it was a summary from like several different interviews that he gave um, on the same subject and basically what he said was that he always looks for evidence of exceptional ability in in their CV and just in their story and he says that whenever he interviews somebody for, for a job his interviews are always the same he just asks them about their career and about the decisions that they had to make and within that he looks for did you actually were you faced with difficult problems and how were you able to solve them and then one detail that was really interesting and i think really important was he always digs deeper into those problems right because somebody was maybe just a part of the team could be just an observer right maybe he just okay he can say yeah we solved this problem but maybe his contribution was not so big but when you start asking sub questions about that if they were actually responsible then they will be able to answer all those sub questions and then then that's how you can tell if they were really involved in that um and i thought that was really interesting right because when i'm interviewing people now i started doing more of that because i thought it's it's quite interesting and probably a good advice um, but I think traditional interviewing is usually much more about, oh, you know, we often don't dive so deep or we just ask some kind of situational questions, you know, how would you do this? How would you do that? Um, at least that's that's my experience usually. Yeah. I think it's um, a lot of it is like just the, who's the, like, who's the candidate, right? So let's say I interview Elijah for, for a role, right? Like, like he has a pedigree of on his CV of companies where you have the trust, right? That mm. they've vetted the process. Like he knows what he's talking about. Like I don't need to ask him about marketing stuff. So it's mostly about culture. Like are you a cultural true, yeah. fit, right? Like that, that's the thing. And granted, like we're two very senior kind of like experienced people here, but like, even like on junior roles, like you have the same thing, right? That's why it's so important to have like that one or two companies on your CV to a degree, like it was always like, and in school, they're always going to tell you like, oh, a degree is kind of like your entry ticket to the economy or things like that. I would kind of say yes, but if you want to go on the express train where everywhere, all the fun happens, it's being part of one of these companies, right? And like, yes, it's hard. Yes, you're probably gonna have to make a sacrifice of something to actually to to get to be part of it. But it then it accelerates it because you get that not just like personal experience, but also like what I would say CV experience, which counts a lot more than a degree, right? Because like especially yep. for the people that are just like starting off, it's every university around the world is effectively the same thing right they're all going to boast they're part of like the top 50 of a certain ranking in the world of how it is but the truth is like when you're interviewing people that are like recent graduates unless they come from ivy league schools of harvard mit i don't have any idea if a university in czech republic is better than a university in barcelona i have no idea like so yeah. they might be one of them might be way better than the other ones but like ultimately 98 percent of the people of the world will know right they'll know ivy league schools and that's it so yep. the differentiating factor is of like what have you done next to it right have you done like an internship somewhere like have you what is that x factor essentially right and like that's how like you look into juniors right can you solve problems and 
you show me that you're, you can solve problems because you've done something on the side or you've done an internship for this company, for example, right? That's like mm -hmm. has a certain pedigree as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is so true because uh, to be really transparent, I, I don't think I have the best of uh, education uh, since young. Uh, I didn't even know what was a university uh, when I was studying back in Singapore. So uh, my results weren't the best. And then I, I, I just had the opportunity to further my, my education in the UK, which wasn't the top schools as well. But you know, I was really fortunate and blessed to be able to get a starting job in Procter & Gamble, which is a good name on its own. And from there, it kicked off the rest uh, the, the chain of events. So uh, I, I guess this is a, I hope this can be an encouragement for people that, you know, the, the education doesn't mean everything. So if you don't have a right ed education right at the start, it doesn't mean it's the end. Uh, you, there's further opportunities in this, uh, about how you can make the best of your opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Nate, did you want to talk about something? Yeah, I wanted to ask, I mean, actually, like, I want to have a, a question for you. How do you guys look at, like, talented from a freelancer's perspective, like at freelancer.com? So the talent of freelancers? No, or not to, like, just, like, for, for hiring, right? You asked us the question, so how about yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so, <laughs> I think something that happens in larger companies we're a medium-sized company right so around 500 people and one thing that probably happens at that size is you have some some interviewing structure in place right it's like well here's the questions that are normally being asked for a certain role and then here are the questions and here's the process that you go through um and in the beginning when you join the company it's like okay i'm just gonna follow that structure and then over time personally i started challenging that a little bit and i started looking at okay can we actually improve that is this really the best way can I actually interview people in a better way, right? And right now where I'm at is always a combination of trying to assess if the person has the skills that they will need in that role. That's the step number one, right? Do you actually know, for example, I mostly hire product managers. So how much do you know about growth? How do you think about growth? How much do you know about technology? Um, what, you know, how do you, uh, how do you look at leadership? Are you able to lead people? by asking also the situational questions, but even better questions about your past performance, right? How have you done this before? How have you done it? Um, were you in this kind of situation? How did you react? How did you get through that? Um, I think that those questions are typically much better because there are many things that we know in theory, right? What would you do if X happens? Okay, I'll do this and that. But what do you really do when X really happens? It's often quite different. So ideally, I try to ask people about what they are actually what they have actually done um so there's always an element of that and then as as you guys were also saying just the culture right is this a person that um i want to work with that i want to spend time with are they do they come to work just to you know just to clock in and clock out and get a paycheck at the end of the month or do they actually you know what what gets them out of bed in the morning are they actually passionate about what they do are they going to really strive to do the best um so trying to understand that and i'm still learning i think i think hiring is hard and <laughs> it's it's always it's always a, a journey to learn how to how to do better um but yeah that's that's typically how i do it cool Elijah, tell us about your startup story 
My startup story, um, nothing too fancy. And as I mentioned to you, both of you before, uh, nothing comparable to the startups or the tech companies that we've worked with um, at present time. But uh, it was a small startup. Uh, saw the opportunity in the craft beer world uh, to disrupt the the market where there was a gap for or there was a opportunity for European craft beers to enter the market in Singapore and the region uh, of Southeast Asia. Um, I had some contact from my days in Procter & Gamble whom I've met in trade shows and stuff. So yeah, never you never know who you who you need to you know get in contact with again years down the line. But uh, it was interesting. Uh, within nine months of starting the business, it was a very traditional uh, distribution business, uh, opening up uh, distribution in different in the market and different channels. Uh, there was a bit of online e-commerce as well, D2C. Uh, but within nine months, we got to one million turnover, which was quite interesting. That's Way faster bad. than I thought it would be. <laughs> it was not, not bad. bad at uh, all. That's really great, actually. Yeah, so uh, it, was really, it was scaling really fast and um, uh, it was exciting. I learned so much from it as a founder, as a, you know, the only person running the show. Uh, you know the repercussions of every each and every little decisions that you make in 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 this business in this startup, uh, uh, how widespread your decision can be become down the line, and you know I learned so much from it. You know the accountability, the responsibility, you know the attention to detail that you need in running a business. And uh, there were good times, there were bad times. I sold off the business eventually, but um, you sold it. I, I took so much. Yeah, but I've sold it um, uh, a couple of years down the line. and um, But yeah, I, I, what I really took out from it was the learnings and the experience that you, you know I, I gained across when I was starting up the business, running the business, or doing the operations and everything. But uh, I, I guess if you were to ask me the biggest learning, there were mistakes I made, but there was also things that I regret not doing. Uh, I, I think one of the biggest learning I had, and I was just talking to my wife, the other day um, over lunch that, you know, hey, uh, if I were to be given a choice to do it all over again, I'll definitely start the business with a group of people or with a co-founder mm-hmm. because uh, doing it alone, it was uh, interesting. It's like, you know, uh, I had the support of my family and friends, but, you know, it's the type of support your the family and friends that will give you when you're doing your business uh, when you're starting uh, doing a startup it's very different from mm-hmm. having a co-founder having a group of people who share the same goal and objectives as, as you and you know, what happened was you know as I do the business on my own uh, you know over time uh, it, it has impact on, on my health on my family uh, life as well and it wasn't all very positive there, there were the good sides and there were the bad sides and the bad sides was really bad because I don't have a co-founder to support me. I don't have a team to support me. And, you know, to add on to that, there was a point in the bis- when I was doing the business, we were scaling fast, growing fast. Uh, in fact, a lot of the growth came organically uh, with minimal marketing spend. And I had an injection of new funds um, from some investors and some capital. I, I think I made the wrong decision because uh, instead of, investing to build a team i hesitated and decided to build uh, to invest back into the business to grow the portfolio to grow different verticals um, 
to grow looking at the top line rather than trying to build a team to support the business and to support the growth and I, I think this is so even still so relevant to today in all the businesses I've started working for that actually every business needs a strong foundation a strong team to support mm. the growth you, you, you can't just rely on uh, because you, the business that's product market feed uh, and then you just rely on organic growth throughout to last uh, permanently so there, there was one big learning which you know uh, well, I guess comes in comes into good learning and you know builds up the experience that I've gained yeah the thing with co-founders is very interesting and the best advice that I always give people that I can give people I think is just think about it as dating because as you said doing it alone like being a solo <laughs> founder is incredibly hard I mean okay that's besides the dating <laughs> aspect I mean, the, b being alone as a founder is incredibly hard. And if you find somebody who's a good co-founder, it's really, you can see the one plus one equals three kind of formula, right? You can really yep. do so much more and so much better if you find someone who's the right fit. On the other side, if you find yep. somebody who's not the right fit, it's, it's a problem, right? It can end really badly. Um, so it, it's definitely a good thing to have one or two co-founders uh but you also need to be very careful who you partnered with and mm. just do a little bit of dating before you actually jump into bed or jump into marriage right um before you take it too far um why why did you decide to go into multiple markets already so early on as you said you were in uh, singapore malaysia yeah i was in singapore malaysia and we, we dabbled a little bit in Thai, uh, hong kong mm -hmm. and a little bit in indonesia but it was just, you know, uh, you, besides domestic growth in your home market, if you call Singapore the home market, um, to get the exponential growth, you have to look internationally to, to get that scale up, right? And Singapore as a market is huge, but it's nowhere as big as the opportunities mm. that you get in a market like, you know, Malaysia, Indonesia, when it comes to the population, when it comes to the size of opportunity. So... That, that was when you really have to say, hey, let's give it a try to grow those areas. But mm -hmm. like I say, I, I made the choice to try to grow into those markets without establishing a good foundation of having a strong team to build on the, the early success that we had. And I, I guess that was the, the, then came the difficult parts when you, as you're trying to manage too many things by yourself, uh, maybe I was overestimating my capabilities and, and that's when it got too tiring and uh, it come and further down the line i had to make the decision to say hey do i want to continue this on my own uh or do i want to in get another new round of uh investment and then try to grow do it over again and start uh securing the team but by then i was way too tired i was you know my uh, as i said my health took a toll uh, my family life took a toll and i was like mm. no i mean uh, let's. Uh, I have to prioritize myself uh, and not the business. And learning to let go was also a big was a big thing to say. Hey, you know, I've done what I can. I've learned everything I can. It's time to call it an end. Uh, I and I don't think it's um, I don't think there's any shame in it. But it's more about hey, uh, being able to accept what you you've done your best, and then you you are taking valuable lessons out of this. Uh, this two years experience for example mm -hmm. i have one more question about this so one thing that i find no very problem. interesting is you said so you said that walt is focusing mostly on organic growth and growth through product and you're saying the same thing about your startup as well right that it was mostly growing through organic growth which is super interesting because like most 
businesses have the opposite problem, right? They invest a lot in advertising, in Facebook ads, Google ads, whatever it is in marketing. And um, they often run out of money because they put so much money into advertising, into marketing, and they just can't, still can't get the business to grow. Um, how do you get to that? So obviously, I guess the first step is you need to have an exceptional product. I would imagine that that's the first answer. Um, but can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how did you achieve that with your own business? I think, especially in the beginning, it can be really hard because you don't know what you're doing. It's very hard to build something yep. exceptionally good when you're just starting, you know, you don't have the resources, yep. hundreds of yep. reasons why it's hard to build something exceptional in the very beginning. Right. Yeah. I, I think for my own business, I think it was really about understanding the customer needs, the consumer needs, the very, mm -hmm. you know, what do they actually want from the product, from the beers that I'm bringing in exclusively um, to be at the forefront of what they want and what they really need and to be able to cater to that. And, and once you understand what they need, you're able to best customize or cater your selection for them. Uh, at that top point of time, craft beer, what I was trying to uh, expand and uh, export into the market, that really fueled the the growth and 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 the 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 sort of the word of mouth that and, and then the sales just came in on, on its own. So uh, it's really down to understanding what the market lacks, what the market needs, what the consumer needs. Um, and that also applies to world. And of course, I'm not saying that 100% of all world's growth comes organically. Uh, now we also mm, do yeah. the traditional uh, performance marketing. We, in selected markets, we also do the top of uh, above the line campaigns and invest in above the line when needed because um, not all growth comes organically in all cases. And then there are times where we have to make strategic decisions to invest when needed because Maybe it's because of competition. Maybe it's because of uh, local cultural needs and differences. Mm. Then you, based on that, you you differentiate and you try to, you know, overcome the the barriers through different types of marketing or different tactics and strategies. So it's 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 I, I think it's but at the end of the day, what grew a lot and in the early days it grew so much and quickly was because of its you know ultimate focus. Uh, our founder, our founder, Woods founder, Mickey, he's, he's famous or he's known for, you know, saying, uh, re referring to thought focus because uh, he, he's adamant that, you know, if we're focused on the consumer, focus on the consumer's experience, which Wood is really well known for because um, no other companies can claim that, you know, yeah, they're able to answer, uh, to do a support for customers within the one minute, 60 seconds uh, time frame to be able to provide the personal touch the uh, you know quick support answering uh, any any help or you know um, uh, backup to to any orders that you have made so and, and what has managed to achieve that and that was what it was really focusing on the the you know the customer experience in the app the customer experience after the order uh, throughout the whole uh, journey of the customer experience what has been really focused on making sure that it's, it's making sure that the customers comes first and the customer's experience is optimal. Uh, and that re was the, the, the foundation the, which built the, the, the rest of the business. And then from there, we started to invest in other areas of marketing. Mm -hmm. Were you the target audience or did you just do a lot of interviews and a lot of like research to better understand the customer or both? 
for my own business, I wasn't the target audience. I probably was the. I did a lot of interviews. I speak to a lot because in the craft beer, there's a niche community. Mm-hmm. of what they call the beer geeks who know their products really well um, even before the products come out they know what's going to be upcoming they know what's the best brewery who, who's mm. the in breweries uh, and I, I had a close-knitted group of um, uh, I, I guess this group of uh, craft uh, beer geeks uh, if you, you may call them that you know feeds me with all this information and I learned so much about the category I learned so much education about the the the, the different types of beers, the different types of, you know, the uh, styles of beers and stuff and what's the in-trend and what's going to be the upcoming trend. And, and then from there, you just really pick up all these insights. And it's actually no different from doing a, in the current days where you're doing a consumer research, a focus group type of thing, right? But that, you're doing it over a, a drinking session maybe or mm-hmm. uh, a, a chat uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, over a meal with this group of people uh, who are really, you know, interested and, you know, into their into this genre of, of stuff. Pretty much like how Nash is very into crypto uh, and then you probably, he's the probably the person that you can go to for anything related to crypto. Mm-hmm. Please don't tag it's... me on Twitter and with, with, with crypto questions. Not, not right now. Maybe when, maybe in better times. Uh, it's, it's, it's an in- you you also <laughs> see a sea of, sea of red when it comes to crypto in the last few weeks, like we all do. Well, people yeah. will say that it's a sea of opportunity, right? It's the time for opportunity when it's there's a, a, a discount. Yeah, you can buy it on a discount right now. So, bye, bye, bye. I think. Not financial advice. Well, uh, just make sure the audience know that they have to do their own research. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Elijah, um, you lived in like in like so many different countries, right? So, um, so you experience like so many different cultures. How's like how's the world culture, like the work culture? How's that change, like for everywhere that you lived? And which one was kind of mm. like your favorite? Um. My favorite, well, I, I spend the most time, most of my working career in the UK. Um, it really depends. Uh, I, I think it depends on the type of company and the type of mm, sort of the backbone of the company that forms the culture. But I, I have to say I, I'm really enjoying my time at work. The, the company, the culture is really transparent, straightforward. Uh, to a point that you know you can really be blunt and honest with each other, and you you don't get any repercussion for it. Um, and at the point when we were at Uber, I really felt that as well. Um, that you know we were really honest with each other. Where we I could say, hey Nick, your shit, and probably Nash will be okay with that. And uh, of course, we sure. don't do that. <laughs> but excuse excuse the language. But I I think. Besides world, where I'm really enjoying the you know the the team spirit, the culture now, and the sense of autonomy that you know the leaders give to the the, the people in the company, and the transparency. I think the other company I really enjoyed was Uber. You know, despite all the controversy publicly, uh, Uber had. I, I think there was a really strong team spirit, at least among our team uh, that I felt, and I, I really enjoyed the time working with this group of people that uh, I still cherish till today and but besides that then when it comes to different type of cultures where do i really enjoy i i think 
I, I think I really, I think companies where you tend to have a wider mix of different nationalities or different people from different cultures, especially across the vast Europe, is really great because then you don't get um, uh, uh, a singular type of culture mm. that is forming the basis of it. And for example, in what we, because we are across 23 markets and there's no dominant uh, nationality apart from in, in Finland where yeah, you get a bit more Finnish people but you know but in, in general the whole company is just pockets of different nationalities and cultures it's great you know, it's great learning experience and people are more free whereas I've worked in companies where it's predominantly British or predominantly one culture it can get a bit stressful for someone like me where English isn't my first language mm. and I struggle a lot with with that when I first moved to UK. Uh, it's it was it's you know I I I was totally lack of confidence and it hurts at times even when I've been in companies where people actually snigger at your at, at, at my English or my my wrong pronunciation. It's it's, it's uh, <laughs> it, it does hurt me as a person. Mm. It's like you know it's not even my first language and sometimes I still think in my mother tongue before I translate into English as I talk. And and people don't really see that side of when when they, when they make uh, fun comments or or you know uh, about someone's uh, English efficiency, which I think shouldn't be the case. And uh, but it does happens. Mm. I think also for just for the business, if the business wants to scale globally, I think actually having different cultures is very important because you know you have you build that mentality within the company that different cultures still think differently, right? It's, I mean, even within within Europe, Europe is so different country to country, right? If you look at the Northern Europe, Southern Europe, but then yep. I don't know if you want to ex- expand to like Asia or the US or Latin America, right? Very different markets, um, very different mindsets. So I think it really helps if you're looking for international expansion um, to have an international team. Um, but I love Finland, by the way. I, I have a lot of friends from Finland. <laughs> and shout out to anyone who's listening from Finland. Um, and one of my favorite countries, probably. Uh, it's super cold right now, so I would not want to be there now. But in the summer, it's great. And just I love <laughs> Finnish people. I spent a lot of time with them. Uh, went to this long trip to Brazil uh, many years ago. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. And they're great. And I know that, yeah, I know that the startup uh, ecosystem there is is really good and there's a lot of extremely driven people extremely smart um yep so it's a it's a good place i actually wanted to move yep, to finland yep. a while like long time ago i wanted to move to finland because of all the people and uh i just thought it's great i don't know um a lot of the things there seem to be really good it's never too late and i'm sure we'll open <laughs> the arms for you <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah. but you're absolutely right. I, I, I love my Finnish friends. Uh, I mean, some of the best colleagues I have at work now are, are the Finnish people. And, you know, they are, you know, be once you reach a, a, a point of uh, relationship with them, you, uh, you're probably friends with them for life type mm. of, uh, you know, context where, you know, they're, they're really good people and very honest and straight to the point, which is 
which which, which makes work much easier, right? You, you don't does. want to work with people who's passive aggressive, or you don't yeah. want to work with people who's a bit wishy washy. But you know, yeah. working with people who's really straight to the point, transparent, that really helps. So that that's actually interesting. Yeah, it's not culturally natural for everyone to be very transparent or to very to be very straightforward but for business it's actually really beneficial if you manage to build that kind of culture right because it's mm-hmm. yeah you just you just get to the point and you tell things as they are rather than going around and maybe just not really expressing what you really think right or that really talking about the problems that yep. need to be solved so that's a, yep. that's a good point okay cool. um so one topic I want to talk about a little bit is um, both of your fintech experience. I don't know, Nate, did you have any other question before we go to that? No, let's it's, it's kind of wrap up with that question, I think, uh, before I have to bounce. So, but yeah, let's, let's go you into your got, question. You've got how much more time, Nate? 10 more minutes? I've got uh, like four or five more minutes. So, but so we got time four for or five more minutes, question, I think. Yeah. Then I'll actually prefer to go into something else. Um, we usually end the, the podcast with opportunities. Where do you see opportunities right now? I didn't really, Elijah, I didn't uh, tell you about that in advance. So I don't know if you, you probably don't have anything prepared. But I guess the question is, yeah, for any founder or any ambitious person who's listening, where do you see opportunities? And that can be in two ways, you know, considering your background. That can be either as a business founder or an aspiring founder, where do you think there are opportunities right now to start something new? Or just in marketing, obviously that's your expertise, that's where you've been your whole life. Um, um, what's, what's hot or what's becoming hot in marketing right now? And Nate's obviously, I mean, you got a very similar background, so if you got any new ideas to bring, <laughs> you can add that as well. That's a really tough question, I have to admit. <laughs> and coming unprepared, I do have to think a little bit about it. Um, I don't, and I don't want to do my ju- question. Uh, I don't want to do your questions injustice by giving you random answers. Yeah, I'll. Hmm. Uh, well, I should have sent this to you earlier, but that's okay. <laughs> Nate, do you have any ideas to fill in? Otherwise, um, otherwise. No, I think I've, I've I've shared I've shared this. Like for me, it's like all about web free, right? And like where yeah. the opportunity lies. But um, yeah, I think there is there still is kind of like the interesting part of like Elijah's career is basically built on like bits and atoms right so like doing bits on the online and then moving atoms in the real world um i'm way more into the 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 bits piece of like being online but i think that's like a very interesting path of i think fundamentally the way we eat is massively changing like not just like going to restaurants and things like that but also like the type of food we're eating and that's constantly evolving like i mean You look at like, my favorite example here is like, you look at the banana and like everybody thinks the banana was always this fruit. And it was like, no, we genetically engineered the shit out of that thing. (laughs) Like, like Hmm. the original had like big kind of like things like inside of it that are like were unedible. It was actually a bit bitter. It was way smaller. Like it's completely different food that we engineered like to uh, up until today, but I think there's always going to be like this, like food delivery niche that was kind of like confined to a 
pizza pizzeria and like a delivery driver on a Friday, Saturday, that's way bigger. I think there is kind of like a big stepping stone in between that kind of like in, in the thing of how do we have, maybe it's not like fully delivered in one go. Maybe it's delivered, let's say you get the meals for the day delivered or something like that. That's I think more kind of like in bulk, which some, some services are like trying to do, but I think it's, yeah, the, the market will always exist for like, I want something right here, right now. But I think there is like a bigger picture as well, like the way we shop groceries to, but not just that, but like, like getting something from that. I think we're ultimately going to be more and more busier and we're going to spend less and less time cooking and cooking is going to become this a hobby type of experience. So I wouldn't be surprised in like 30, 40, 50 years time, like there's apartment blocks that don't even have like a kitchen built in, right? I mean, granted, some places in Asia are like that, right? So like, I think like Taiwan is like quite famous of like a lot of like buildings of like apartments, not even having fridges. Um, so it's quite interesting. I think we're kind of like evolving towards that. So I think that's where the space is like super interesting from my point of view. That's interesting. It's, it sounds super weird, but I kind of agree. I think like the, your thinking process, I really agree with that. I think people just won't have time to cook and it's going to be less and less interesting and some type of personal chef, but in a more, in an affordable way, I think that that will become more and more interesting. Right. That is right. And I, I guess what what is trying to become is to become the shopping mall in your pocket. Mm. And that has been something that we have been aspiring to achieve. Um, and you can see that from our move from food delivery into the grocery sector and of course into other verticals, uh, providing non-food, uh, lifestyle items, etc., etc. So And to even pharmaceutical products. So, yeah. A shopping mall in your pocket and just everything delivered ASAP, right? I mean, the quicker you get it, the better it is for most yeah, of the things. Um, maybe not, maybe, I don't I don't think speed is a consideration for everything, but it's just everything convenient, uh, everything delivered at the choice of your time. Uh, I, I think that's more important time. rather. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I think speed doesn't equate yeah. to the best, but it's more about, hey, if I want something tomorrow at this time, would I be able mm. to get it? Uh, if I want something in 30 minutes time or in, in 45 minutes time, I have the choice of tapping into this platform and uh, achieving that. And I think that's better than, you know, getting a, a delivery in the next 10 minutes because, I mean, I don't have a use case for, to, to get everything for in the next 10 minutes all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, I'd rather get something or anything I want at the time I want. So... Mm-hmm. And there's probably space, there's probably opportunities for various niche businesses to start in this space of delivery or pickup of various things um, that's scheduled, that comes to you, that just, you know, kind of done for you um, service. And quick teaser, that's actually one of the ideas that I'm working on right now. So I'm hopefully mm-hmm. going to talk about it in one of the next episodes. But Exciting. that's something for next time. So. <laughs> I guess we'll wrap up now. Um, Thank you so much for joining. Uh, Again, for everyone who listened until the end, please leave some feedback. Also give us some reviews on on, uh, all the podcast apps. Uh, But yeah, let us know what you think about this kind of format. And uh, thank you guys.
Talk to you soon.